All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 417. This week in space history, for March 16th through the 22nd. I'm John Mulnix. Hey everyone, I hope this podcast episode finds you well. Things have changed a bunch since I recorded the last episode. I try to record a week in advance, which didn't happen this week just because of how busy I've been. So last week, the podcast was pretty much business as usual. This week, it's hard to ignore all the things that are going on in the world. First off, Al Warden, an American astronaut and command module pilot on Apollo 15, passed away earlier this week. Warden performed the first spacewalk in deep space when he retrieved data cassettes that were used in the instruments in the SIM bay, or scientific instrument module, that was housed inside Endeavor's service module. Warden was loved by all who interacted with him, and I'm sad to say that I never got the chance to meet Al. NASA astronaut Andrew Morgan shared a beautiful photograph of a picture of Warden and the Apollo 15 patch floating serenely in the cupola in the ISS. That picture, along with pieces from the people that Al knew best, are in the show notes. Now, by this point... No matter where you're at in the world, you've probably been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. The shutdown of businesses and daily life is beginning to take a toll on a lot of people here in the U.S. and around the world. Here in Colorado, small businesses have had to close their doors to regular traffic as restaurants, theaters, and more shut down to promote social distancing. Right now, my family is all right in all of this, and I hope all of your families are all right as well. I am a little bit worried about the long-term effects that this shutdown is going to have on the millions of small businesses that employ a staggering amount of people here in the United States. According to the Small Business Administration, small businesses in the U.S. employ roughly 47.5% of the employees here in the States, And many people have lost their jobs as a result of this shutdown, and I'm not sure when it's going to get better. I know this is a stressful time for a lot of people, and I hope that all of you are able to make it through the coming weeks and months just by staying safe and doing everything that you can to mitigate the effects of this pandemic. I'm sure we'll emerge from this event stronger and more resilient than before. Just everybody stay safe, wash your hands, and try to support your neighbors as well as the small businesses that are still open online in limited operation as best as you can. I've been trying to keep my daily schedule as normal as I can over the past few weeks, and one of my morning rituals is reading from some great works. I've been diving back into Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, which is a good companion to read through if the times are good or bad. I usually read a few pages a day, and I found today's reading to be fitting for the situation that many of us find ourselves in right now. Let me share an excerpt from that piece. Aurelius writes that, quote, 
Men seek for seclusion in the wilderness, by the seashore, or in the mountains, a dream you have cherished only too fondly yourself. But such fancies are wholly unworthy of a philosopher, since at any moment you can choose to retire within yourself. Nowhere can man find a quieter or more untroubled retreat than in his own soul. Above all, he who possesses resources in himself, which he need only contemplate to secure immediate ease of mind, the ease that is but another word for a well-ordered spirit. Avail yourself often, then, of this retirement, and so continually renew yourself. Make your rules of life brief, yet so as to embrace the fundamentals. Recurrence to them will then suffice to remove all vexation and send you back without fretting to the duties to which you must return. Aurelius continues, After all, what is it that frets you? The vices of humanity? Remember the doctrine that all rational beings are created for one another, that toleration is a part of justice, and that men are not intentional evildoers. Think of the myriad enmities, suspicions, animosities, and conflicts that are now vanished when the dust and ashes of the men who knew them and fret no more. Do the ills of the body afflict you? Reflect that the mind has but to detach itself and apprehend its own powers, to be no longer involved with the movements of the breath, whether they are smooth or rough. In short, recollect all that you have learnt and accepted regarding pain and pleasure. Aurelius continues, Remember then to withdraw into the little field of self. Above all, never struggle or strain, but be the master of yourself, and view life as a man, as a human being, as a citizen, and as a mortal. Among the truths that you will do well to contemplate most frequently are these two. First, that things can never touch the soul, but stand inert outside of it, so that disquiet can arise only from fancies within. And secondly, that all visible objects change in a moment and will be no more. Think of the countless changes in which you yourself have had a part the whole universe is changed, and life itself is but what you deem it. You can find copies of Meditations on Amazon or probably at your local bookstore if they are still open doing curbside pickups, so I would definitely check it out. Let's get to some space history. For this next part, we're going to have the audio from episode 306 of The Space Shot, Jimny 8, A Close Call. It's March 16, 1966. Neil Armstrong and David Scott are strapped into their Gemini capsule, awaiting liftoff on the sixth crewed mission of the Gemini program. At 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, an Agena target vehicle launched from Cape Canaveral, and just a short time later, Gemini 8 lifted off on its mission to rendezvous and dock with that Agena. At 10.41 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Jiminy 8's engines roared to life. The hypergolic aerosene 50 and nitrogen tetroxide ignited on contact, producing 430,000 pounds of thrust. Armstrong and Scott were on their way. The launch went off without a hitch, and after rendezvousing with the Agena, the two spacecraft were docked on the fifth orbit. This was the first time in history that two spacecraft docked in orbit of Earth. Docking two different spacecraft was an essential part of future Apollo missions to the moon, so NASA needed to prove this capability as soon as possible in order to understand the challenges involved. 
A short time after docking is when things started to get a little scary. CSQ flight. Did he say he could not turn the Agena off? No, he says he is separated from the Agena and he's in a roll and he can't stop it. His right pre his right pressure is down to zero. His arms regular pressure. Quote about twenty seven minutes after docking at five forty one PM, the combined vehicle began to go into a violent yaw and tumble. Armstrong disengaged the Jiminy capsule from the Jiminy Agena target vehicle, causing it to roll, pitch, and yaw even more rapidly than when it was connected to the Agena, approaching and possibly exceeding a rate of one revolution per second. Say again. Did I hear a stuck hand controller? Again, Did I hear him say he may have a stuck hand controller? That's not a flight. Not a flight, this is CSQ. We can't seem to get any valid uh, data here. He seems to be in a pretty violent trouble right Roger, what about the Agena? One revolution per second for the Gemini spacecraft was an extreme roll rate. Thankfully, Armstrong and Scott were able to regain control by deactivating the OMS, or the Orbit Attitude and Maneuver System. They reverted to the RCS, or Reaction Control Thrusters, and were able to slow the spacecraft down. CSQ, this is flight. He has uh, blown one RCS ring, is that right? Both, you're right. Got it. Yeah, I understand. That's one one switch. Roger. Out of flight, CSQ. Go ahead. Uh, the Agena is tumbling violently off at this time. Roger, I understand you have ACS off, right? That's affirmative. CSQ flight. Go. Okay, you better get that ACS on and get it in FC1. Roger, roger. CSQ, this is flight. Find out how, how much RCS fuel he has used and uh, if he is just on one ring.
During this process, they used up 75% of their RCS fuel, which necessitated an immediate abort and return to Earth. Retrofire rockets were fired on the seventh orbit, slowing the spacecraft down so that it could re-enter Earth's atmosphere. Gemini 8 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean just 10 hours after launch. Even though the mission ended early, the primary objective, the docking, was accomplished, albeit in a manner that NASA wasn't expecting. Both Armstrong and Scott flew on missions after Gemini 8. Armstrong, as I'm sure all of you know, flew on Apollo 11, becoming the first human to walk on the moon. David Scott flew on Apollo 9 and later walked on the moon during Apollo 15. I've talked about these two missions before, back in episode 67 for Apollo 11, and episode 73 and 77 for Apollo 15, so check out those archived episodes to learn more. SpaceX launched Echo Star 23 on an expendable Falcon 9 rocket on March 16, 2017. The expendable Falcon 9s don't have landing legs, so they look a bit different than the rockets we're used to seeing launched by SpaceX here lately. EchoStar 23 is one of the many satellites operated by EchoStar Corporation, a company that delivers video and data connectivity to customers around the world. Earlier this week as well, SpaceX launched their latest batch of Starlink satellites. This was the first time that SpaceX launched a booster for the fifth time. Sadly, an engine out on ascent caused the Falcon 9 not to be able to land, and they weren't able to recover this particular core. It is important to note that SpaceX was still able to successfully put their payload in orbit, even with an engine out, on a rocket that was flying for the fifth time. If that doesn't speak to the reliability of the Falcon 9 rocket, I don't know what else does. I've got two birthdays to mention, well, I guess three, for the 17th. The first is American astronaut James Irwin, who was born on March 17, 1930. He flew on Apollo 15, which was a mission that I talked about in episodes 73 and 77, among others. He passed away in 1991. The second birthday is another American astronaut, Ken Mattingly. Mattingly was born on March 17, 1936, and flew on Apollo 16, STS-4, and STS-51C. Mattingly was originally to be the command module pilot for Apollo 13, but was bumped from that mission because it was wrongly thought that he contracted the measles. On an interesting note, Ken Mattingly was played by actor Gary Sinise in the movie Apollo 13, and Sinise was also born on March 17th. Happy birthday to Ken and Gary. 62 years ago, on March 17, 1958, Vanguard 1 lifted off from Cape Canaveral. The Vanguard name referred to both the launch vehicle and the satellite it was sending into orbit. This was the second satellite launched by the United States and was the first Vanguard satellite to reach orbit. The two previous attempts had ended in failure, one on the launch pad and the other nearly a minute into flight. I've seen one of the flight-ready backups for Vanguard 1 at the Cosmosphere in Kansas. It is such a cool-looking little spacecraft. Its surface is highly polished and round, interrupted by small solar cells and antenna that protrude out quite a bit. Little is the operative word for Vanguard as well. 
It's only six and a half inches or 16.5 centimeters in diameter, and it weighs 3.22 pounds or 1.46 kilograms. Its small size when compared to the relatively massive Sputnik meant that Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev called it the grapefruit satellite. Well, this little grapefruit satellite is still in orbit of Earth 60 plus years after its launch. It is the oldest orbiting satellite and a monument to the early days of the space race. Vanguard 1 returned geodetic measurements of Earth through the analysis of the spacecraft's orbit. Geodesy is the study of Earth from space, and it helps scientists understand the exact shape of our planet, as well as its orientation in space and our planet's gravity field. One last note, the solar-powered transmitter on Vanguard 1 continued to operate until May of 1964. Next up, we have Voskhod 2, which launched on March 18, 1965, from the Baikonur Cosmodrome. The two cosmonauts on this historic mission were Pavel Belyaev and Alexei Leonov. This mission was unique because it was the first time that anyone had performed an EVA in space. This extravehicular activity lasted 20 minutes out of the 26-hour mission, and it was a short but important first attempt for a critical procedure that's used in human spaceflight today. The EVA was also a little bit more dramatic than the Soviets initially let on. A problem with Leonov's spacesuit almost prevented him from re-entering the spacecraft. I'll be linking to some articles that detail this hair-raising event in the show notes. We're going to skip forward a couple decades now. The second flight of the SpaceX Falcon 1 rocket took place on March 20, 2007. In the 13 years between that failed launch and today, SpaceX has proven that the Falcon 9 is one of the most reliable rockets in operation. The Space Shuttle Columbia lifted off on STS-3, the third flight of the Space Shuttle program, on March 22, 1982. Astronauts Jack Lausma and Gordon Fullerton flew on an eight-day mission designed to test the endurance of the shuttle, as well as various components and systems like the Canada Arm. Lausma was a veteran of Skylab 3 and had supported Apollo 9, 10, and 13. Lausma's flight on the space shuttle was his second and final flight into space. STS-3 was the first time that an orbiter launched with the distinctive orange external tank. The first two shuttle missions featured white external tanks. The white paint was initially meant to help add another layer of insulation, and it was thought that the white would reflect the sun's rays off the tank, thereby increasing the effectiveness of the insulation. This turned out to be immaterial, so NASA stopped painting the tank, saving about 600 pounds of weight, which allowed for more payload to be taken into orbit. This mission was also notable for another reason that I'll talk about in about two weeks. It was a shuttle wheelie during landing. Now let's move forward to the mid-90s with STS-76, the third shuttle Mir mission. STS-76 launched on March 22, 1996. This nine-day-long mission took astronaut Shannon Lucid to the venerable Russian space station for the only long-duration stay on Mir by a female American astronaut. The shuttle Mir flights helped lay a foundation for the International Space Station, proving procedures that would be essential to the ISS, like long-duration spaceflight, 
Flights to Mir came to end as the construction for the ISS began. Appropriately, we'll be talking about the end of Mir next week, so don't miss it. I do have one final note for today. I have launched a Patreon page for the Space Shot where you can chip in if you would like to help cover the costs of producing and hosting this podcast. Until May 15th, if you back the podcast on Patreon, I'll be sending you a handwritten thank you and a special edition holographic Space Shot sticker. The sticker is really cool. I'll be linking to it in the show notes. It's got the podcast artwork, the little rocket, in holographic form. And that is it for this week. I do have a call-in number. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, just dial 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'm looking forward to sharing the questions that you may have with all of the listeners. As always, the links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Reviews in Apple Podcasts help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure it reaches as many people as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.